You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Haley Meisenheimer. Yes, you said that correctly. Look at that again. But this is not the first time I've said it correctly on the first try because we actually lost an episode due to some technical difficulties because HP Windows sucks. But to get past that, Haley, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what do you do professionally? Um, actually, I am a college student right now. I am uh, majoring in psychology and um, just kind of do the typical college jobs. Now, are you a Starbucks barista? No, I actually work on my campus. Oh, like what? Helping out like bookstore or just? Um, I help out with like the maintenance part of like answering phone calls if something breaks down in a dorm calling the right people to get that fixed. I love office paperwork. Now, are you trying to go to be a psychologist? Yes. Because much like we were talking about before in our last uh, episode we did that's forever lost in the ether, much like most of my dreams, um, we talked a lot about the fascinating things about psychology and you know how the human brain works because a lot of it we do not understand today. Yes. So yeah, what specifically fascinates you, though? Um, well, um, two things. Um, first, um, kind of, there's two um, that kind of are equal. One is the whole um, serial killer aspect. Yeah, where you have and your the, favorite, um, you have your favorite uh, serial killer. Um, I forgot his last name. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah, that crazy guy. And then um, this disorder, um, identity, no, dissociative identity disorder, which I got really fascinated with that. That pulled me more into psychology as well. Multiple personalities is kind of the other name for it. Yeah. <laughs> so what about, so, so let's talk about your favorite serial killer, okay? Now, is it the idea that someone could be so evil and cruel to do that? Or is it the idea that he didn't really feel any remorse? Um, just both aspects, but just more or less, just like um, that one little spot in our brains. Um, if you kind of don't realize this every day, but like our mind stops us from doing a lot of things that we could do, like we could be driving and I'm like, why are we staying in between the lines? Like I could physically like turn the steering wheel and go wherever I want. Or the fact that or, you can move your hand and that's all from your brain. That's all like, you're just, you're doing it automatically. You're on autopilot. You just know how to do it. And then you don't even think about it. Yeah. And it's like, um, more scary is like, yeah, like there's one little thing stopping me from going, okay, I could, kill this person not feel any remorse and feel like i'm in the right i did ah, nothing wrong so this is where you're fascinated with serial killers deep down you're one yourself 
That's the trick. No, it's the idea of how anyone can truly be one. Because there is some serial killers that you can be like, look at them and go, okay, I can see them being one. Yeah, such uh, things in psychology, like environmental factors, um, you know, your environment, you are a product of. A lot of people believe in that kind of theory or believes that kind of impacts a person in a way, such as like a kid with a horrible childhood or, you know, never getting anything, being cruel to others because he was never given any good treatment himself. But when Uh, um, when you look at a serial killer, the weirdest thing about it is after they get after they're in court and they're getting kind of looked at all everything from their crimes, they have a psychiatrist come in. So the psychiatrist who's like the medical doctor, he focuses on the medical management really of like kind of the health issue here. They're trying to find if there is a mental health disorder or does this person just is just, you know, that's what that's what they wanted to do. Like they need to make sure that there isn't a I I would hate to say an innocent side of them, but like with things like schizophrenia, okay? Like that's also kind of being kind of scared of everything and anything because you think everything's kind of fake you feel like there's so much more at hand than the actual picture is so it's very very hard to describe and it's very very hard for someone that goes through it to be able to explain it to others because you're not going to know what someone's going through unless you're experiencing it yourself so when they have a psychiatrist come in to kind of diagnose a patient if he's mentally insane um it's difficult because the first signs they look for is remorse they want to make sure if the person is upset that he's sorry for committing the crime, then they realize, okay, you know, he's obviously, he did it. He knew he did it. He's wrong by it. He's not mentally insane. But the problem is the people that don't feel any remorse at all. So, yeah, that's. Go ahead, Haley. Come on. Okay. Um, yeah, that's just the most craziest part is when you realize this person does not have any remorse and those people that don't feel remorse are actually like have the worst crimes of them all like the ones that like charles manson will, yes <laughs> um he never killed anybody though he just got other people to do it for him yeah which that's even more scarier he's an epic salesman yes yeah that's even more scarier as you can talk other people into killing for you i feel like morgan freeman could probably do that sadly i have to agree with that thinking about that (laughs) you took a deep breath on it so you know it's true yeah yeah morgan freeman was like i want you to take a knife and slowly murder your whole family with it do it slowly you'd be like yes sir i don't even know what's going on it'd be like he's controlling your body in a way I think yeah. what's crazy when it comes to serial killers, you look at Charles Manson maybe convincing people. Now, would you consider him, since he didn't feel any remorse, he's not sorry for it, did he admit to you know not ever killing anybody, but do you think that somebody could be so evil to where they could do something like this, or do you think that they're just uneducated? Um, truly, it depends on case to the case, because like that... Mm, you can kind of have an argument for both but there is some people like um Ted Bundy who was very educated knew exactly what he was doing they have any remorse 
and thought he was a big shot. So like, that's evil <laughs> for sure. What really kind of brought me a little bit uh, to dive into a little bit of information when it comes to mental health, I saw an episode of The Walking Dead. And I don't know if you've seen like around like season four or five, or that's really around the time I stopped watching it. But the little girl has the walker, the zombie, and she's acting like they're still people. But she wanted, she ended up killing um, her sister who was alive and not infected and said, don't worry, she's going to come back. She's going to be better. She's going to be. And it was like you saw that in that show and it kind of hit you like she is not mentally sane. There's something completely wrong there and i think it's some people get a weird interpretation of what death is um there are some people who are they have some type of uh mental health issue i don't know the exact disease for it or the disorder for it but it's where they literally think that like like it was a case where a person killed his family and then he was still like setting them up and like like kind of a necrophilia type of thing and he had no idea. He thought they were still talking to him and everything. Yeah, I know exactly what you're uh, talking about. And then there's uh, another disorder, mental disorder, I forgot the name of, because it's kind of on the rare side, but um, the person thinks you're dead and they're like a zombie. Oh, oh, or or the other one where the person thinks he's dead and then nobody can see him because he's a ghost. Yes, like... Or um, there's even one where people think their like flesh is rotting, like a zombie. What? Which that was, yeah. Now, are yeah, these people really... trying to be fans of The Walking Dead, or do you think no, they, they lied to themselves so much they convinced themselves that they have this? I think you can lie enough and convince yourself. I think it was like one or two cases. I learned this in psychology class. Like we were talking about all those like weird cases like that. Have you ever heard of alien hand syndrome? Sounds really familiar. <laughs> it's literally idol of hands, the devil or the um, idol hands or the devil's play toy. So the syndrome is basically characterized by the belief that one's hands do not belong to oneself, but that it's its own life. Hmm. So individuals who experience this type of thing have a normal sensation, but feel their hand as autonomous. So basically you can choke, you know, if you, if you do something, your hand just looks at you like you're holding a puppet, but there's no puppet there and looks at you. And then you go and stick your hand around your throat because you did something wrong. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about with mental health. It's like so crazy that people like this happens to people and like they're not want like they did not sign up for it. Kind of thing. Like they just weren't like one day they're like. I'm going to think this way. Yeah. It's sometimes it's from like a severe, like physical trauma to their head. Um, the syndrome with alien hand, you know, that only occurs in individuals who have damage to the corpus callosum, which basically is like what connects the two cerebral hemispheres, hemispheres of the brain. So these types of causes could include stroke and damage um, to the lobe of it. Uh, then the hands appear to be intermanual conflict, or I guess it's idiomatic idiomotor apraxia, meaning they act in opposite to one another. So I'm actually looking at this off of um, the psychology DSM, actually mental health disorders. It's under the rare category. Um, the DSM-5 criteria, I'm pretty sure you're probably aware of. 
Yes. Yeah, so like the basic treatments and all the types of things. Basically, it's like an in- information guide. Like when you're building IKEA furniture, they give you all the instructions that you end up throwing in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> so these are kind of your guidelines as a psychiatrist um, and a therapist to kind of deal with a little bit in a way. Most of it's like the main categories, obviously ADHD, uh, you know, bipolar disorder types of things you have to do. Um, more equipped with those because those are more relevant in society today, which I think is weird. Mm, well, there's a whole um, kind of debate on like the increase of mental like um, disorders and illnesses. But if you truly think about it, um, we in history haven't been keeping good record of mental health. And now it's a whole big like millennium thing to talk about mental illness. Well, so more c- people are getting help, which and our files shows more people having it. Yeah, well, it's the the weirdest thing about it is it seems like the mental health disorders now are becoming learned. They're not born with them or they're not uh, developed through like a trauma. They're becoming basically kind of created from the types of things like social media. People are becoming more angry, um, tend to show signs of bipolar. Uh, kids are coming out with more anxiety uh, mostly because social media is, has kind of plays a big detriment on your brain in a way. And now we're seeing it so much more relevant now than it was back in the day because they didn't have this type of technology where we have today. It's not, it wasn't like that back then. Yeah. Um, for sure. I remember, um, I just had discussion, uh, with the professor and we were talking about how she was like, are you the generations that grew up all with phones? And we're like, no, for a while, we didn't have phones until we were like 10. Like 10 is like the earliest anyone got a phone. And it was usually the age of like 14, 15 is when you got your cell phone. But yeah, nowadays, like younger generations have always had like social media, phone and all that. <laughs> Have you ever, so I'm looking at this website still because I'm kind of reading all these uh, mental disorders and I'm like, I've never heard of any of these and they have the weirdest things. Have you ever heard of apotemnophilia? Apotemnophilia. No. So it's basically body integrity identity disorder and it's characterized by the overwhelming desire to amputate healthy parts of the body. (laughs) <laughs> Though not much is known about it, this disorder is believed to be neurological. Those affected may attempt to amputate their own limbs or damage the limbs so that surgical amputation is necessary. Whoa. Think of that. You decide like that's kind of in line with transhumanism where you're trying to get like robotic body parts. So yeah. I, have a, I have a buddy that's like, dude, I would love to have a robot arm. I was like, even if your arm was working perfectly fine, he's like, yeah, chop that off. I'm like, he actually might have this syndrome. I have to send him this. Yeah. I think it's crazy how the brain wiring can get crossed. Like bad foods could be good. Like if you, um, there's a, like, uh, I forgot what it was. Uh, there's a person that was eating like really sharp cactus and he thought it was tasty even though it was hurting his mouth, he got, he got pleasure from it. There are people that can get their wires crossed to where pain is a good feeling, such as putting your hand on a stove. We would associate that with hot, don't do that again. But people do that and they get a sensation from it. Like if they're getting, you know, taking a nice shower, getting in a nice hot tub or something. 
Yeah, that's the craziest part is how the brain's so complicated and like we have to figure out so much stuff as humans. But the one thing that we can't figure out is our own brain because it's so complicated and like it's like a complicated machine with no directions at all. And like they're all the brains are wired a little differently. So trying to figure out just the basics is very like complicated <laughs> in some way. So trying to go and figure out more um, with like mental illness, that's even worse because you have to go deeper down and connect more wires and disconnect. And Oh my God, I'm about to throw a disorder your way that you're about to think is going to be super crazy and can't be real. Throw it at me. Are you ready? Yes. It's called kluver Busi syndrome. Now, what do you think that means? Repeat the name for me one more time. Kluver Busi. Just take take a random guess. I believe in you. <laughs> this is who wants to be a millionaire. All right. I'm assuming this is like a disorder. Hmm. You're Googling it. Don't Google it. I'm not Googling it. You're Googling it. I'm well, not Googling Imagine craving the taste of a book or wanting to have sex with a car. That's reality for those affected by Kluver Busey syndrome, a scary mental disorder characterized by memory loss, the desire to eat inedible objects, and sexual attraction to inanimate objects such as automobiles. And I'm staring at a man that is kissing a bumper. Wow. Oh, man, this is on an episode of uh, My Strange Addictions, actually. So Uh, you're looking at this, and you just hear that. You're like, that person's just weird. But how many people in the world do we chalk up as being weird, but they have a mental disorder? It says, not surprisingly, those with Kluvar-Busi syndrome often have trouble recognizing objects or people that should be familiar. This terrifying mental disorder is difficult to diagnose and seems to be the result of a severe injury to the brain's temporal lobe. Unfortunately, there is not a cure for Kluvar-Busi syndrome and sufferers are often affected for the rest of their lives. So yeah, we have, well, you talk about my strange addictions. So have you, do you, I'm guessing you love this show because that, that was something I found fascinating with too, the, uh, the ability that people would have these weird kind of addictions to things. Yeah. For, I would like watch it and be like, how did somebody like, how did that first start? Like, um, like, how did you just look at that and go, you know, I just feel like um, there's one episode where it's like, I just feel like drinking bleach. It's like, how did you find that? Like, how are you alive? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like stuff like that. It's like, how do you find that appetizing? Like looking at random objects or looking at something and go, I need to carry, like, I know for sure there's one episode where this woman carried on a pillow everywhere she went oh my goodness maybe she's just tired a lot and she's like in case i ever need to take a nap i have that option 
No, she like acted like it was like a baby kind of like. Dude, there's a woman that was eating toilet paper. I mean, straight up sitting on the toilet, like not even going to the bathroom, just lid down. And she was just sitting there one square at a time just eating toilet paper. She's like, I love it. And I'm like, what does that do to your stomach? Um, how did you look at that? Like, that's my more, like most asked question when I'm watching these shows. How did you start that? Like, what like how did you brain? look at that and decided that you wanted to eat toilet paper? Yeah, because it's one thing I know if you, like, keep doing it, it gets addicting. But starting that addiction. Well, it's the same concept. You decided to look at a cow's udder and decided to get milk from it. Yeah, I mean, thank God I'm not the only one There are innovators. Maybe toilet paper tastes good, and maybe we'll see the prices of toilet paper go up. I'm pretty sure it's probably better than half the fast food out here. Probably more nutritious, too. Yeah. So have you ever heard of temporary mental health illness? Um, so there's a syndrome called Stendhal syndrome. Stendhal syndrome is basically a psychosomatic illness that is fortunately only temporary. The syndrome occurs when the sufferer is exposed to a large amount of art in one place or in their environments, characterized by extreme beauty. Those who experience this odd yet scary mental disorder report sudden rapid heartbeat, overwhelming anxiety, confusion, dizziness, and even hallucinations. Stendhal syndrome is named after the 19th century French author who described in detail his experience after an 1817 trip to Florence. Wow. Imagine being an art critic and going to an art museum and doing that every single day as your job and then going home and you just start hallucinating like crazy and basically can give yourself a heart attack. Yeah, that is crazy. And you said it was by art? Yeah. You just stare at a bunch of art or beautiful things and you literally – I feel so bad for whoever owns Victoria's Secret and you're working in Victoria's Secret. Oh, man, you probably get that delusion fast. Probably. That's that's coming from a guy's perspective. (laughs) Yeah. When we talk about all these things, like now your environment can actually cause a temporary mental health disorder. So let's kind of bring it on back to, you know, like you said, you like the fascination aspect with the serial killers and also how someone cannot see remorse from it. I think a lot has to do with just being uneducated. Um, mostly people don't understand the concepts. Um, remember I told you the story of General Butt Naked? Haley, how did oh. you forget General Butt Naked? <laughs> College. The, killed me. It, the guy that was a naked African warlord that would run around and kill kids and eat babies and stuff because he believed that was in like that you ate the blood of warriors, you ate the blood of enemies, and he believed, basically believed he was Satan in a way. And he all went over to Christianity. You could hear that and say that guy has a mental health disorder, but he was uneducated. Where he grew up, where we as people survived in this country, we learned off watching the animals around us. What he learned from the animals down in Africa was exactly what alligators and lions and cheetahs and all these types of things do. So we learn from animals, not really in the water, 
but like grizzly bears, um, eating, you know, killing and then storing a bunch of food for later. And then he learned to swim underwater and wait for little kids to come by to play in the little water and he grab them and kill them. And it's because he learned from an alligator. We are all products of our environment, which brings up the weirdest aspect when people think that environmental influences really do not affect a person, um, at least any type of mental health disorder. I mean, you're telling me that the people that have these strange kinks, um, you know, that like are obsessed with dolls, they didn't have something in their life that pushed them to that. No, yeah, environment for sure um, is a bigger factor than what people think it is because, um, for real, if you're um, were raised like what you said, like um, how he was raised with like alligators and all that, yeah, like you're gonna learn from your surroundings. Um, That's why. Um, when you see like people like in, in small towns, like, oh, get out of there. Because once you move away from that small town, uh, you're going to start learning from like bigger cities and like start um, doing things that they do every day. Well, you pick, up, to... you pick up the guidelines of your community. Um, you learn from others around you. You kind of go into a hive mind type thing. Um, it, that's in a, there's some good parts about that being more connected with your community, but then you kind of all playing the game, um, you know, gym that works a nine to five, which you're seeing nowadays, people think it's comfortable to live a nine to five life, not do anything else, just go to work, go home, go to work, go home, look like somebody else, um, look like the average person's like the whole hipster idea. You got to look a certain way because it's trendy. Nobody's really showing individuality anymore. Oh, yeah, especially with the whole um, Visco Girl um, situation that's going on on social media. Um, With, like, oh, if you have a scrunchie, a hydro flask, if you wear over baggy t-shirts and wear shorts that you can't see because your shirt's too long and too baggy, and you have uh, Birkenstocks on, like, you see all these girls on like social media or just even out in public, um, even at my college, the majority of girls look exactly the same. It's kind of weird and creepy. <laughs> well, it's really crazy when you think that with psychology, even clinical psychology, you know, be- being able to diagnose mental health disorders, kind of integrating science and kind of theory in like a practice form really to kind of understand a person's problems, you know, be able to adjust with something, maybe a disability or some type of thing they're uncomfortable, they're discomforted by. Um, It's still looked at in the science kind of category of things as the least relevant when it's compared to astrophysics and all these types of things that have substantial evidence. That's why it's so discredited is because there's not a whole lot of evidence when it comes to psychology. There's evidence that there's problems out there, but there's no cure. There's no exact fix for any of these mental health disorders because the person can adapt to a medication. The person could adapt to a certain treatment. And next thing you know, you don't know how to treat their disorder anymore. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, with um, college, my professors... uh, 
we have our own little psychology department and then we have just the science department. So when their paths cross, like, yeah, the psychology is like, yeah, we're a science. And the science department is like, no, you guys aren't. Like, you guys can't prove what we can. Like, if we put these two atoms together, this is the element you're going to get. And then in psychology, yeah, we can't give that exact proof, but we're still learning on the aspects of chemical imbalance, um, observing, doing experiments, just like any other science. Now, which theory do you fall under more with psychology? Because every type of person that is studying and to be a psychologist or therapist, they have a certain theory or certain style they hold more favorable over all the others. Mm. So would you be behaviorism, humanism, cognitive theory? Um, I, I hope you know this stuff. Come on now. I do. I, um, uh, I never got this question asked. So that's why I'm like, probably more cognitive um, because I believe in um, just the whole um, definitely I'm more of the like leaning more towards like the science of like the whole um, chemical balance and all that um, lovely stuff. Plus about when you're diagnosing somebody using cognitive theory, you're basically trying to teach them and create little mental kind of memory stores inside of their head, processes by organizing, noticing when there's a problem that's about to arise. Like if you have OCD, um, the common compulsive disorder, washing your hands multiple times, uh, very, very clean, um, doing the same thing over and over again until it's perfected perfectly. And there's nothing wrong about it. It can't just be slightly off. It has to be dead center. When those types of feelings are arising, when you're able, because you're able to notice if you have OCD, if one of those things are about to happen, like, oh, I hope he doesn't do that because yeah. then I'm going to have to wash my hands or I'm going to do something, get up, maybe do three spins and then sit back down. It's a way of kind of get getting rid of that discomfort but there's a way a therapist can make you mentally notice that then kind of remember when that's going to happen and find another way to deal with it rather than doing something that might really kind of feed into the ocd aspect it's cognitive theories obviously applied to like language it's like memory you know learning all these types of things that you can have and especially when it comes to your dreams um that's fascinating. I, I mean, I just watched an interview on Facebook um, in a news article. The person's like, so what's it like living with this disorder? And this person had, I don't even know what it was called. It was the weirdest thing. He just goes, it's the craziest thing. Oh, and it slaps himself in the face, claps two times. And then literally like, I don't know if he hiccuped or burped, but he did like a pop noise with his mouth. And then he starts oh. talking again and he completely just went over it. Like it was nothing. Oh, um, oh, I know what you're talking about. I know the term. Is it um, Tourette's? I think, no. It's a form of Tourette's. I know that, but there was this, like, they always have everything kind of categorized in a different way. You know, if you have Tourette's, you don't just have this Tourette's. You have this one, you have this one, you have this one. It's like 50 of them. My buddy actually has Tourette's, and 
he jokes around about it. I think that's what you have to do if you have something like that. You have to obviously make it aware that it's a thing. So you're not just walking down the street street and then cuss somebody out. Um, there's a person that has a, a severe stutter, and it was the saddest thing because they tried to have him read and do an interview on national television. And he was like, I like, I, I, I started going for five minutes. And they, I swear to God, they gave him a script, and he had the hardest words to say. He had one that was like constant intuity intellectual, like something where it was like a name of a disorder. And he just sat on the first one. He's like, I'm not even going to do that one. Like he, he got stuck on the first like syllable part for like a good minute. And then he's like, I'm done. I'm not even going to try that anymore. Yeah. That's kind of the way um, you kind of have to like notice and realize that you have this disorder and kind of, what you said, like, that's one thing I kind of learned about any disorder, that you kind of have to learn what triggers it, how to move around that, and if you can't do anything to help it, just kind of know, like, make the best of the situation, like, you're like, yeah, you know, I know I have this, I know everyone knows I have this, is it gonna stop me? No. But I got to kind of inform them what's going on so I don't look as crazy as I am. So you think people should try and recognize that they have a mental disorder and not look at it as a detriment to their life, like not being able to accomplish anything, but more like look into it and then try and find ways to work around it and maybe kind of get rid of it? Not get rid of it, but... um. So... I'm going to use my own life example. Um, I have a learning disability. Um, there's no specific name to it. Um, but I know I have it. I know that no matter what, I can't get rid of it. So I just kind of am like, yeah, I have it. But I learn ways to kind of work around certain situations I know I will have trouble in. So I was like, oh, I know if I read out in public, that's not going to be good. So instead, I just kind of reread it myself. If I don't know a word, I just emplace it with another word at that moment. I go, if they get the general idea, I don't think they're going to care if I read it word for word. I think it's crazy. Like, when it, like I have ADHD, and before it was always give them a pill, something that really wasn't understood. And then now that I'm out of school, the education system has taken a new road by narrowing down nutrition. They look at nutrition now and try and kind of see like, oh, maybe he shouldn't have the chocolate milk at lunch because that's going to make him have more energy. Let's give him like a vegetable, something that calms him down or not makes him so active so he can actually pay attention in class. I'm like, where the hell was that when I was in school? Where was the person that had that bright idea to not give me two chocolate milks and then wonder why I'm jumping around the classroom? I, I think we're slowly learning in this process. I mean, you got me carrying this psychological debate here or topic, Haley. But when you find things like in a psychology disorder, you're going to look at anybody that's obsessed with psychology usually has an underlying mental health illness themselves, such as, um, you know, anxiety, depression, these types of things. Because 
honestly, it takes someone who has one of these things to be able to understand what it is like for someone that goes through maybe a different disorder. You don't get exactly the effects and how they're seeing it, but you notice how much of a handicap it is on your life. And then you're able to kind of empathize with the person. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm one of those people that have uh, anxiety and depression in, in psychology. But yeah, even just learning um, myself, kind of why I have this and how it kind of happened um, in more of a scientific way. And um, for real, because the funniest thing is I have friends who are perfectly fine, have no mental illness. And when, when I tell them about my mental illness, they give me the worst advice ever. Yeah, about, it's, it's in your head. It's in your head. Just get yeah, over it. It's like, it's either, I, I, that's it's, the problem. <laughs> it's either, oh, um, look at a higher power. Um, go take a walk. Um, oh, you know, just relax. Or, um, oh, it's not as bad as you seem. Like, that kind of thing. But if I talk to my friends who do have kind of the same mental illnesses as me and they go oh yeah no I actually learned this new technique about for my anxiety hey you want me to show you or like hey yeah no I can totally tell that this is affecting you let me do this for you or um like hey I read this article about um this new technique or this and I feel like you would relate a lot to it and I'm like, wow, you're more helpful because <laughs> you actually kind of get what I'm going through. I thought the best way to explain maybe ADHD for someone like me to somebody else that doesn't have it, I sent them an article on it that came from a person with ADHD perspective. That's where you have to look for is you have to go online and be like, I need to find another person that has this same thing I'm going through, maybe in a different way, but kind of hits on the same kind of basis. And then look at their information, like top 10 ways to maybe get over it or top 10 ways to kind of deal with it. Then you send that to someone who doesn't know what you're experiencing, like a family member or a friend. And they look at that and that gives them a better aspect of what it is. You know, I have, I have kind of an over compulsive disorder when it comes to working out. I've worked out every day for going on seven years now and I have not missed one day and I get really freaky when it's my, like around the time to go to the gym. And my buddy would always hit me up like, man, you're always at the gym, man. You're always doing this. You're always, cause I'm like, you hit me up on the hour that, or the hours that I go to the gym. Don't do that. Hit me up before, you know, I won't talk to you if I'm there. And I sent him an article on it, like over compulsive working out disorder or something. Um, I think it was called hyper uh, gymnasia, like the um, over kind of tension of working out. And I sent it to him. He learned from that and he actually read it. And you can tell when someone cares about you enough to look at that article because now he works around it. He knows exactly when I'm about to do something, when it's something like when it's about to happen. And then he just, he stays away. He gives me my space, which is all I ever asked for. Yeah, no, I do the same thing. Um, especially when I'm dating somebody who doesn't, know what I'm going through I'm like hey you know this is going to be maybe some new territory like my mental illness like is not going to go away so here here's some articles on how to handle me when I get worse or hey here's kind of signs showing you when I'm going to get anxious or 
if when I do get anxious, don't do these things and then do these things. Because it's easier for them just to read it and then have me explain kind of with that. I think it's crazy. Like we hear about the common ones like PTSD. Uh, I talked to someone, you know, that has PTSD and he talked about he got it from the plane ride home, staring at one of his friends with his leg blown off. And he was getting sent home because at the time they didn't know the proper diagnosis for what he had, where it was called cluster headaches. Basically feels like someone's taking a knife basically six or seven times out of the day and just stabbing your brain for a good hour. And he was experiencing these and he's there wasn't a diagnosis for it. So he thought he was just getting sent home with headaches. And now I, I talked to him, his name is Zach Breyers, and he's like, dude, it sucks because I have PTSD from that. Like coming home and thinking like I'm just getting sent home for headaches and I look over and my buddy's legs are completely blown off. Like he has legitimate reason to go home. You know, you look at a person that comes back from war, be like, I was sent home. Like why? And like, because I have uh, like PTSD, I have, that's, that's a more commonly known one now. But back in the day, if you said you had PTSD, you're like, what the hell is that? Where's your missing arm? Where's your reason for actually leaving battle because you can't fight anymore? Well, I can't stop screaming and it's hard for me to hold a gun now. It's like, man up. That's what they used to tell you to man up. And it's crazy now that the fact that education, when it comes to these types of mental health disorders, now that it's being more relevant than ever, it's being looked at and kind of empathized more. You know, it, this is something that was addictive towards getting a, a what do you call it, a service animal. You know, the, the fact that like military dogs, they've been known to suffer from PTSD. You know, it helps them relate to you know we think that people just need animals to help them cope emotionally is because animals show empathy but there are some animals that have mental disorders too and then they need people to help with that empathy yeah for sure um that's why a lot of like veterans and stuff um who people that come back from war go to shelters because you know those animals went through a hard time as well and need at home it's like and, investing yourself in another kind of being. Yeah, and kind of that whole relationship too of like, you need someone, I need someone, we can support each other. I think when you probably experienced it too, learning about more of psychological disorders, but like for me, when I went to school studying chemical dependency, then ended up going into psychology. I started kind of diagnosing people randomly out in the street, and I couldn't help it. Oh yeah, um, um, my friend's gonna hate me. But yeah, uh, I do that a lot too. And um, one of my friends, I love her dad, but she knows I'm studying psychology. But she'll throw out like. Um, she's like, oh, my OCD is like getting to me. I was like, oh, you have OCD? Have you been diagnosed? And she's like, no. I'm like, please do not use terms that if you have not been diagnosed. (laughs) Because I do kind of diagnose people, but I do not like tell them. Yeah, you just think it it in your head. You don't want to be rude and be like, I think you have bipolar disorder because someone's going to get offended. Yeah, 
And then on the other end, I don't like people diagnosing themselves and then saying it out in public. Like, and they're like, oh, like, oh my gosh, that shirt bugs me because I have OCD. And you ask them and they're like, oh, I've never been diagnosed, but I know OCD. It's like, yes, a shirt can bug you because it's folded the wrong way, but... If you have to refold it and then refold every single one to match that perfectly at exactly every single angle, like you work at a t-shirt store, it's kind of a problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my... I, I I do it too. I see people walking around the street and I'll be like, all right, this guy is aggressively angry and then he's happy one minute. Does he have bipolar disorder or is he being overwhelmed right now? Does he have something else going on in his life? Maybe he lost his job. Maybe he had. That's why I tend to act a little bit nicer towards people that are experiencing like being kind of, I guess what we would call an asshole in public. You know, I've talked to people that, um, have siblings with huge disabilities such as being mentally uh, retarded or experiencing something where they're not able to comprehend things going on around them and I always kind of ask the question like do you think it's kind of upsetting and I'm going to ask you this too do you think it's upsetting that the fact that we put them in jobs that are kind of the hardest and the ones we really don't want to do yeah it's just kind of unfair because it's like oh we can kind of get away with it because they don't know that those are the jobs that people don't want and we're just kind of giving it to them like i'll go to the grocery store like walmart and you obviously see you know somebody that suffers from like mental a mental disability and they're just out in the snow pushing a shopping cart across the parking lot because they feel like the people feel like they don't they can't do anything else you know they're not going to do anything else properly so they give him the job they don't want he's out in the cold suffering and completely unaware of how mistreated he's being and it's all because the person sitting inside drinking a nice hot coffee it's like just looking out the window and laughing it's like what's wrong with you you know like they're people too. You know, everybody suffers from something. Everybody's, there's always somebody smarter out there. There's always somebody dumber. You know, you're better in your own aspects. And I like, I talked to um, his name is Stephen Jay. He's a friend of my mom. And uh, he goes and he helps these kids with disabilities get jobs, like proper jobs. And they have amazing things about them. I'm pretty sure in, in our podcast we did before, they got lost. We talked about idiot savant syndrome. <clears throat> you know, the fact that like a person that suffers from a severe mental disability, not being able to do simple math or not even be able to speak can still be able to play Beethoven, you know? Yeah, no, I remember talking about that. And that's one thing too is, looking at people with mental illness or um, even disabilities a certain way, you just kind of have to get to know them and know what they're good at and what they're not. And even if it's a certain job and you're like, oh, they can't do it. Well, they might find ways around it and do a better job. You just kind of got to give them a little bit of time to say, hey, what can you do? What can't you do? Kind of. And then find the placement of what they're good at. I think we can't be 
too quick as people to judge other people and write them off just on credit or a type of social status. I think you have to try your hardest to kind of give people their own time. You know, the problem is we feel like there's not enough time. We feel like there's not enough of our much of the time we have on this life to be able to accomplish anything. And this is when kids experience at a young age, a severe anxiety that they're not going to live up to their expectations. They're not going to become stuff because of all the stuff that kind of gets played on social media, things like buying a yacht, you know, the celebrities they look for, um, but not modeling themselves after hardworking individuals. Yes, I'm not saying that celebrities are not hardworking, but I'm saying that if you're looking at Kim Kardashian and her whole lifestyle and you don't have that, you're going to put yourself in a terrible spiral, especially if you're someone that might be overweight and you're looking at like a supermodel's Instagram, like, oh my God, this person just has the best life ever. But you don't know that celebrity or someone could be suffering from a severe mental disorder such as maybe an eating disorder. That's why they look like that. I, I think the main concept when you're trying to understand psychology is the idea you have to keep all kind of people the same level, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've accomplished. It's You have to create the human aspect of it and we tend to rely in the most famous of people and us give them that celebrity aspect the idea that there cannot be a flaw inside of them yeah um with that just uh, what you're saying that's why um i tend not to like judge people on certain aspects because myself it's like oh um, I feel like people can't tell I have a learning disability. They can't tell that I have anxiety and depression right off the bat. And, but once you get to know me and stuff, I'm going to tell you that information. And that's why I kind of get to know people first and not try to judge them or put them in a certain category. Even like famous people, I don't really follow the famous people or like have celebrities I really try to follow and trend after. I'm just kind of like, oh, this happened in this person's life. Hmm, okay. Um, but it's more interesting hearing um, more celebrities coming out saying like, hey, I struggled with this disorder or hey, this mental illness or hey, I went through this trauma. And it's like, wow, these are real people that had some horrible past. Or, wow, they're dealing with stuff at a higher level in regards of, yeah, celebrities, you see them as a good life, but they're getting so much more hate and horrible comments and stuff thrown at them as well with the positive. Yeah, you want to keep the relatable aspect and not give them the fantasy aspect that we hold so dear. You know, it is nice to dream and it is nice to think, but if you start to realize and create these false goals or these types of things that it's going to be impossible for you to reach, like maybe growing eight heads, at least with technology, I don't think that's probably going to happen anytime soon or in our lifetimes, but people might have a ridiculous goal like that. And they set themselves up to fail, knowing that they're never going to accomplish that subconsciously. They think this. And that's what creates severe depression. That's what creates these types of things we're seeing nowadays. I feel like in society today, even though 
we're being more cautious of people with mental health disorders, I feel like it's going to keep increasing the likelihood of someone having a mental health disorder, especially the way we're kind of going as people. We, we, we lost kind of the human aspect of things. For sure, for sure. Yeah, with that, like having such big goals and then reaching for these unlike realistic goals at hand. Um, it's funny because um, all my friends have these big goals to go move to like Los Angeles, New York, um, get rich, have these really good paying jobs all that and I'm down here with the most basic simple like traditional concept of like all I want to do is become a therapist I don't care where I don't care about the money just a nice little job helping people start my own little family get married live my life in like smaller town that's all I want Yeah, I think that's the deep down kind of human nature, human aspect we kind of lost in the first place. People used to care about one another. You know, you had to hunt to survive. So you had to hunt in groups to be able to eat, like kill bigger things and kind of be able to survive together. Now we're experiencing this kind of selfishness where everyone's kind of out for themselves. It's It's an adopted characteristic. It's not something that is supposed to be inside of our DNA, but that's all people know now. All they know is to care about themselves. And you started off the podcast kind of starting off like the brain noticing these things you know there's a shut off thing that your brain has when you drink too much it shuts off you black out when you get in severe amount of trauma or physical pain your body gets hyper vigilant it gets into that fight or flight response you know have you ever experienced maybe a near-death experience or have you ever experienced some type of physical trauma that kind of honed in your senses and made you way more aware of what was going on around you um like almost getting in a car accident can do that. Almost chopping your finger while you're cutting some vegetables. Yeah, uh, I'm just throwing myself under the bus here. But yeah, I. Uh, it's really funny because I know this. I'm a horrible driver and I threw and did people like three times on accident. And the funny thing is now when I hit my brakes, I slam my brakes more because I'm afraid of hitting the person in front of me, even if I'm like feet, like, like, like five feet away or 10 feet away or how many feet away. Like I like kind of slam on my brakes and I slowly ease up towards them. I'm afraid of doing that again. I get like, I get like that too. I got hit by a jet ski. Okay. I got hit by a freaking water vehicle so whenever i was a jet ski guide after that i made sure people turned off their jet skis and i would come to them because i only trusted myself i would freak out because a lot of times renters they just want to drive right up to you and ask you a question it freaked me out i would run away and next thing i know they're chasing me and i'm like stop stop like because i would freak out it's the same reason like my buddy was in a severe car accident um he got his foot ripped off he got he had a tree he it was it was a big mess i'm so glad he's alive but he talked about it like for months after driving after that accident 
just trying to get back in the car again was the hardest thing to do. Like taking the step just to sit in the car, he had to work to build that up. Then to even be able to drive in his driveway, that was a big thing. It took like six months down the road till he was able to even do that. And the physical trauma he experiences and then emotionally him getting up every single day, looking at his face, seeing his scars that he has, seeing things that he can never forget, always being constantly remembered of this one incident. He talks about like, dude, if I touch my scar on the side of my head right now, like I, I, I can literally, it flashes me back to that trauma that night. And I'm like, ooh, like this, this is where like PTSD and these types of things can kind of include into a person's mind. Like your mind can be imprinted or imprinted with these types of horrible, horrible emotional responses that can literally drive a person insane. Yeah, and um, the thing with trauma, too, is when trauma happens, our brain, how we normally memorize things is, like, we kind of put, our brain puts things in files. Like, it's like, how do I put it? It's like, it's our like brain, working at a post thing. office. Yeah, it's like working at a post office, okay? We have all these memories get delivered at the post office. Someone sorts them and puts them in where they belong. With trauma, it's like, just pure chaos and like you don't know where to file that memory at so your brain just keeps it where it's saying hey this should be filed but I don't know where so I'm gonna make it more fresh and keep it fresh so when I go to it I can try and pinpoint but I just can't like there's like a wall blocking where it's supposed to go and just won't be filed away it's really kind of strange because i think the easiest example we could use will be like your brain is like a computer okay so all your memories is your hard drive so my hard drive crashed or uh, crashed you know fried basically lost all my memory on my computer it was not responding it would say um undetectable no hard drive inserted i'm like the hard drive is built into the computer so it, there's obviously one in there. This is where our episode got lost. So I'm kind of dealing with that subconsciously. And it, it was it was really weird to see that because immediately I thought like, that's kind of like when people experience severe memory loss after maybe getting like a, a certain impact to the head or just like some type of hypnosis. You know, this is common with uh, schizophrenia. They use ECT. You know, we talked about this last time electrocompulsive therapy, the fact that when these emotions and things start to arise, you shock somebody and it makes them forget. It basically burns off those synapses. Because if you look at your brain, it's just a bunch of working parts, cogs and gears moving together if you want to give it a machine aspect. You know, the synapse is all connecting and firing off these types of electrical impulses. You can burn those off and disconnect them so you won't be able to remember certain things. Some people that experience a severe loss of a loved one. I know um, one of my dad's friends, he got hypnotized to forget about his girlfriend that he dated for eight years when she got into a car accident because he just couldn't, he couldn't live on with his life anymore. And he didn't even remember who she was because they burned off all those synapses. And sometimes he gets like a weird thing like, did I see that in a movie or – like, and he's aware that he was hypnotized, but he doesn't know if it's real or not. It's just a dream to him. 
Yeah, that just itself is crazy, a little, like, hypnotizing thing and all that. Yeah, um, there's even a disorder that I talked, I was discussing with somebody recently. I, I'm not good with terminology because I have a horrible memory myself, um, but it's the disorder where you can't recognize a face, like. Oh, yeah, Dunbar limit. There's a, a limit of number of faces you can see. Brad Pitt has this. It's really strange. I'm pretty sure we talked about it. Um, the fact that Brad Pitt, like, he doesn't remember anybody, basically, that he meets. He just has, like, there's only a certain number of faces you can remember. It's Dunbar's limit. And after that, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, what was your name again? It's just, like, the information just can't get processed anymore. Like, your file is full. Yeah, that itself is crazy because, you know, we use facial recognition for, like, everything. So I mean, half your technology is facial recognition now. I mean, you can put your thumbprint on there. Next thing you know, your phone opens up. I think it's crazy when you look at how horror movies, every like a werewolf, okay? I don't know if we talked about this or not, but a werewolf, that wasn't just created. Like, some dude didn't just dream it up. Or didn't think of it like, oh, this is what a werewolf is, and then started drawing. No, he took bits and pieces from animals and people and put them together in his mind. See, the problem is with the brain, it's so much we don't understand. So when it comes to monsters in movies, any type of thing that was created cartoon-wise, like how did that person think of that cartoon character? It's your brain taking all the information from aspects it has seen that you totally gloss over, a person's face that you've walked by. In a dream, your brain cannot create a new person. It's somebody's face mixed in with a bunch of other faces kind of creating that detail. You're not creating a whole new person. You're not creating this perfectly drawn face it's just your brain basically throwing together a bunch of them and combining them into one and taking like little bits and pieces from each where it's a slight maybe a cheek lowering or a nose that's bigger and it just turns it in and adds it like when you're making a create a character it gives you a list of options to choose from that's what your brain does that's like in, in its own like this is why i feel like we need to stop sending teslas into space and we need to spend more time focusing on the human brain something that's so close to us the fact that people that are experiencing cte you know at, at the young age of 26 have the mental capacity of a 45 year old person because of the fact they're experiencing so much physical trauma to their brain this is why I love psychology because it's so different aspects and there's so many questions that like you cannot answer at this moment that just blows our mind and we know like like these people are doing these things but why and that's the real question I hope that we all get an answer for within psychology is why all these things are happening why does our brain do like what causes it why our brain connect those two wires and have this disorder the problem and the answer is all in the same thing it's we're constantly learning we're in an ever-growing new evidence kind of coming out next day society the fact that we think we have the concept of psychology handled the next thing you know five years later that's concepts out of whack and now we have a newer one we're constantly adjusting in this ever-changing world which is like with laws they should be more adaptive with everything in the world needs to be more open not being so closed and just because it worked back then it might not work now yeah that's the 
another reason I love psychology because like in math you can only learn so much before everything has been done and with English too it's like oh you can only create so many stories before they all kind of start like it's gonna be a long time but theoretically every story man can think of could be written within psychology with evolution too our minds are so shifting and changing that we'll never truly understand it we just will have a better understanding of the past brain to the present and (laughs) what are your hopes for um mental health do you think it's going to get better or do you see it's going to get worse in my regards um your personal opinion my personal opinion um i can see it being better with how um kind of the movements that are going on but realistically i think things can get much more worse than better um in regards of what we said the increase in anxiety depression all these mental disorders and not a lot of people want to mess with psychology um because they all want to be business people they all want to get these nice jobs and companies and all that would be famous and no one's really caring about um going to go to college get your bachelor's degree in psychology go all the way to master's get your psychology degree in that and then um going for school that long getting licensed become a therapist like it's a lot of work but it's definitely worth it you know i think a lot of people just want a quick result they don't want the long-term kind of answer if it says it's going to take eight years they tend to wander off at the idea yeah for real and um thanks to within psychology a lot of people want to focus on the serial killer aspect because of like criminal minds and cis those kind of things and if you truly go into a psychology department and say hey how many guys are majoring in psychology and minoring criminal justice something with um criminology something along those lines and ask them hey are you obsessed with serial killers have you seen criminal minds because they want that kind of crazy aspect of being a serial killer and all that well we want to understand too we don't want to feel like there's just people out there we're never going to understand we want to kind of figure out why someone ticks that way you know why is it that sometimes you look at someone you're like man i would throw your head through a wall right now if you just get super angry it's like why do those things arise you're you notice it's familiar when you see it but then you hear someone crazy that goes and shoots up a sore and you can't explain it you don't understand how a person can think that way yeah no i totally agree with that it's just kind of everyone more thinks of it as like the criminal um minds aspect of like oh man, like we could say so many serial killers and all that, which in reality, um, the jobs with most fields are very competitive because there's a lot more people in that regard. But I like to more help the majority of it, everyday people that need our help more. Yes, we can understand the serial killers and all that, but 
out of their population of just serial killers compared to the majority of the population. I want to learn about the majority of it, just everyday people. Like, why are you and me so different, but can be so similar? Like, why do people like pizza? Why do some people not like pineapple on pizza? Why do some people do? Like, how our brains decide what we like and don't like? Yeah, I think it's all about kind of, you know, like we said before, environmental influence and also kind of the genetic factor too. You know, if you're allergic to pineapple, you're probably not going to want to eat it on a pizza. But even in like the most understanding aspect, just having that thought and that example is perfect scenario to how we should kind of be looking at other people. Like everyone's different in their own unique way. We're not all the same structured person that we show around, the one we act like. You know, some people are comfortable in a nine to five job. Some people, they're not fit for that. And that's true because everyone is their own unique thing. The reason why you're named Haley, you know, the reason why you are who you are is because of the things you like, the things you want to do, not because someone else is that. You know, I couldn't live the life of Haley. Same reason why you can't live the life of me. You know, we have these types of things we've learned to deal with. We have these problems in our life and we have these things that make us great people, but we choose to push it under the carpet because it's, it's, it would be weird to kind of throw it out there. Yeah. Um, kind of more psychology based too, like, um, the situations we've been put in our lives, how we, how our like trauma and our like whole life and how the environment like how we grew up kind of made us who we are and I'm feel like I'm a very open person because of my environment what happened to me and all that and just blows my mind completely just knowing that everyone went through different experiences that one point we all could go through that same experience but we didn't and just think if maybe we did go through one experience kind of the same but even with that how we interpreted and go two different paths um i like learning about like your podcast learning about um certain stuff from people or learning their backstory and how they became to this point in their lives and saying, hey, I've been through that situation, same as you, but you have a different outcome. So now I kind of know why you're more like this. <laughs> you could have zigged when you could have zagged. Yeah. And all this, we might experience the same situation, but a slight difference, and that can have two different outcomes. It's like rolling a dice with infinite sides. You never know what it's going to hit. And that's kind of why I went to um, therapy is because you get to hear these people's stories and you get to just have a chunk, like just knowing a chunk of their lives and what they've been through and helping them kind of pick through that scenario and say, hey, this is why you think this way. Now let's take all these bad traits and let's try to focus on how we can rewire them to be good traits. 
Yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of bringing in another perspective on the things. I think that's a lot what helps. And that's why a lot of people seek out therapy, because sometimes we just need that connectivity, that kind of advice to, you know, pull us out of something we might not be able to see from our eyes. Especially um, even asking, like, if you ask your friends for advice, they're going to probably agree with your decision that you were leaning towards because they're similar like you. But having a person who doesn't know you, doesn't know your backstory, none of that, and you just tell them everything, they're going to be less biased and help you realize things you haven't noticed before or saying, hey, I know you think the same way, but look if you were the other person and their viewpoint and how, why they acted that way towards you. Now, let's figure out this way to help you, but help uh, help you understand the other person's viewpoint as well. Yeah, like I said, adding another perspective. I mean, it, it, it helps so much not just closing your mind off to one way of thinking, but being open and kind of listening to other people and being able to experience what they have gone through. It helps create a better understanding of, you know, just the world in general, people in general, you know, connectivity needs to come back, not in social media, but in the aspect of just having conversations, because that's where you're going to pull out most of your best information. Yeah. um, Friday, I actually um, did something really nice, and it kind of showed me um, connection, all that. This girl, she, I was at one of the restaurants on my campus and this girl was looking through her wallet for her wallet in her book bag and I was um right behind her and she I was like hey you can go I can't find my wallet and she realized she left it somewhere and she was like oh man I have to run all the way back and I go hey I'll buy your meal for you like no like no big deal like I know like how it feels and all that. And she's like, oh my gosh. And she told me how she was having the worst day of her life. And like, just me doing that for her just made her day. And she thought just this day was going to get worse, but got better. Yeah, it's about helping others in need too. I mean, if you, like I said, keep the human aspect of things, you tend to kind of be able to help where you can, even with something like that, like someone that pays for your meal, um, paid it forward, maybe you're going to pay it forward, or it stops there, but it doesn't matter, you help that one person out in one of the simplest ways possible. It doesn't mean you need to go buy meals for everybody every single day. But if you have the time and you have the caringness to do so, then pro you, you know what I mean? Yeah, and like, I got to hear a little, like, viewpoint of her life, I probably would never heard of if I didn't say that like if I hadn't stepped forward and then she just went back and I was like oh but then I was like oh I didn't know you were having a bad day like I've never known that well I I could just it's it's it, it's just simple. Sometimes talking with someone instead of just saying, hey, how's your day going? And then walking away as you say it. I hate that. Yeah. But actually sitting there for a minute and listening, because honestly, that can be the most beneficial that can actually stop somebody from committing suicide or doing something with, that they might be experiencing at the moment where they feel like there's no way around it. And that's the one thing I love um, about just 
kind of that aspect of psychology too is just like even just talking to somebody can change their viewpoint or like a decision they were going to make and it's like the whole um, concept as well of if I didn't talk to that one person at a time something bad could have happened like what you said like a lot of people I've read so many stories of people were about to commit suicide and they ran to one person and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Like, I'm sorry, I bumped into you. And it's like, oh, nice shirt. And then they just start with this whole conversation and they're like, yeah, I was going to jump off that bridge like right before you came by. Just taking the time to remember that we're all experiencing something and just keep the concept of being human in the mind. Um, Haley, I do appreciate you redoing another episode of Out of the Blank because we lost the first one. And it's been an awesome conversation. And I, it was awesome having you on. I definitely think you need to stick with the psychology thing because it's something, you know, seeing someone that truly cares about it and understanding it coming from their own perspective as well. It's, it's something that's going on that people just tend to gloss over and it's not something that should be glossed over because it's not a problem that's going to be able to fix itself. It's not a problem that's just going to go away. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my goal is to stick through um, psychology all through my bachelor's and master's and being that so forget to be a therapist. So... <laughs> Well, thanks again, Haley, for being on and stay tuned for another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.